Hey everyone, it's Laz of Detroit Bad Boys. It's a podcast. I had almost forgotten what a podcast was. Oh my gosh. On this week's podcast, we are talking about hiring a general manager. Uh, Ben Gulker and I discussed various rumored candidates for the Pistons GM job and whether or not it matters that the GM would be retaining a lot of the people who are already in place in the Pistons front office. Uh, We also talk about the NBA's rumored timeline for a return to basketball and what place, if any, the Pistons have in it. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments, especially in this time when the podcast episodes are going to be a little bit more uh, spaced out. It's really important that you share and subscribe and leave those comments. You leave those comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the team and the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis during a global pandemic. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm very sorry. It's been a while, but we're back for this week, at least. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? You know, Laz, for, for 2020, we are not even halfway through this year yet. But for 2020, I'm doing good. I'm counting my blessings and I'm grateful. How are you? I'm doing well. A lot of stuff has happened. Enough stuff that I feel like, hey, I should send the email to Ben and it's like we should do a podcast on the on the happenings yeah. in, in Detroit Pistons world. But like, yeah, it's, there's a lot of other stuff happening, but we're not we're not really gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about the Pistons for now, just as a blissful escape kind yeah. of yeah. from everything else. So the big news is obviously we got a report from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski that the Pistons would be searching for a new general manager. It's a little bit weird because they already have a set front office structure in place, but uh, and the report you know indicated that that wouldn't necessarily change. Uh, the GM would be working with uh, senior advisor, that is his title, senior advisor Ed Stefanski, Arn Tellum, and. Uh, head coach Dwayne Casey. So none of those guys are going anywhere, but we're still going to get just some more voices in the room. Another uh, layer of knowledge to add to, uh, to the Pistons front office. Um, We didn't get a look at any candidates in the Woj report, but a few names kind of dribbled out shortly thereafter Um, with, with one, with one big name, I think among the fans that I wanted to talk about first. So Ben, Every single fan on Pistons Twitter wants Chauncey Billups to be the GM. What do you think about that? Yeah, Chauncey, Mr. Big Shot. You know, I am so torn about this one. Um, On the one hand, there's the sentimental part of me that says, yeah, bring him back. He is an all-time favorite, I think, for just about everybody, right? I mean, he is, even after he left Detroit, Detroit still is kind of how he talks about as his NBA home. The city loves him. He loves the city loves the franchise. So that would be amazing to bring a man like Chauncey Billups back into the fold. The flip side of that though is, you know, obviously, you know, outside of his 
TV experience, it's not clear that uh, he would necessarily be set up for success. And the potential downside is sort of what we've seen happen with Joe Dumars, right? And Joe rightfully belongs as like an all-time legend in Detroit Pistons lore and history. You know, and unfortunately, that's all tarnished a bit um, by the way things went downhill at the end of his tenure. So there's a part of me that sort of says, oh, maybe we're better off leaving Chauncey's legacy uh, as it is, or maybe this shouldn't be his first job, right? Like maybe we need to go see him uh, earn his chops somewhere else. So definitely torn, um, split pretty much down the middle on this one. Yeah, my thing has been, Chauncey's been doing TV for the last couple of years. Uh, He was, his name was brought up the last time the Pistons were redoing their front office two years ago after the Stan Van Gundy era ended. And, you know, in that time he, you know, could have taken other front office positions. I believe Um, if I'm remembering correctly, he was offered a front office position with the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, since then. Um, But he, you know, hasn't, chosen to do any of those right he's just uh he's he's enjoyed his life as an espn analyst and just kind of a a a basketball uh knowledge person um so to me that indicates that like while he professes to want to eventually join a a nba front office that he kind of knows that um his the skills that he has to offer will always kind of be in demand and so he's not in a rush he's not in a rush to he's in a He's going to be very uh, per- particular, like with his uh, with his decision to where he begins his his front office experience. So that kind of leads me to believe that even if this were this were offered to him, you know, this situation in Detroit, where this team is rebuilding from the ground up, um, and there is a lot of and because they're going from the ground up, there is a lot of opportunity for things to go well, but there is also a lot of opportunity for things to uh, go very poorly. That. I, I don't even think that that kind of situation would appeal to a guy who uh, wants everything to go perfectly, I would assume, for his first general manager job. And so I don't even know if Detroit can kind of offer Chauncey the the situation that he's looking for. You know, would would it be nice to have a, a Pistons legend in the front office and a guy who, as you so eloquently put, Ben, like represents Detroit in, in a lot of different manners and ways and a guy that Detroit loves, like, yes, that'd be, that would absolutely be like a good thing. But, you know, like you, like you also pointed out with Joe Dumars, like that love can turn pretty quickly, right? Like Joe, D, Joe D is a three-time champ with the Pistons, but like with the thing he's most remembered for is drafting Darko Milicic, right? <laughs> like the, the failures uh, tend to eclipse the the successes and you definitely don't want that to happen. Uh, with Chauncey Billups. And so, you know, there, there are other names on this list. There are other, you know, former, there are other individuals who have worked for the Pistons before. There are other individuals from the Detroit area who are, who are on this list. And so, you know, it doesn't, if we want a favored son of Detroit, it doesn't have to be Chauncey Billups. That's what I'm going for. It don't have to be Chauncey. But some of the other names that are on this list, are let's see let's start with uh tony ronzone the director of player personnel for the dallas mavericks apparently this is a guy he previously did work for the pistons and uh legend had it that he was uh, in favor of the uh, aforementioned uh, darko milicic pick 
uh, you know, he's obviously gone on to do bigger and better things uh, than that in his NBA career. But Ben, what do you think about Tony Ronzone? So as we discuss all these candidates, I think, you know, it's obviously hard to evaluate individual front office candidates in most respects, because you don't really know how to isolate what their contribution is most of the time. Right. So I, I tend to think of these decisions by evaluating the franchises that they've been a part of. And I've got a lot of mixed feelings about Dallas. Um, You know, obviously they, they won an NBA championship in the not too distant past built around Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd, Dyson Chandler. Um, Since then, I feel like they've really struggled to identify the things that made them great when they were. Um, They've obviously had some recent success in the draft uh, and they've got a stud to rebuild around. Um, But I would say I'm lukewarm about anyone coming out of that Dallas uh, organization. I'm not going to hold Darko uh, against him. I think, you know, even in hindsight, it's hard to even bash Dumars too much for Darko because Darko was just roundly celebrated. Um, You know, we don't need to rehash Darko too much. You know, he was widely believed to be the next stud, right? And it it just happened that it didn't work out that way. But yeah, I I would say I'm a little bit lukewarm unless there's just something really obvious I'm missing about him. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there is anything super obvious that you're missing with him. I don't, that doesn't mean like, I don't think he's a poor candidate by any stretch of the imagination, but when you take a look at the players that Dallas has drafted that aren't named Luka Doncic, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in the director of player personnel. We know that draft picks are something that the Detroit Pistons are really going to need to uh, to hit to hit on during this rebuild. And so you would like someone who uh, has a little bit better track record of that. Uh, other candidates include Mark Hughes, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers assistant GM. Uh, Hughes is from Detroit. I believe he went to, oh God, did he go to Pershing? I should have, I should have had that on the sheet. My bad, but he, he's a Detroit guy. Um, and he's part of the, he's the assistant general manager in the uh, very highly structured Los Angeles Clippers front office, which I took a look at. Um, he, the, so the general manager position like would be, would represent an internal promotion for him. And the Clippers have done a really good job since Lawrence Frank took over of turning that team uh, into a championship contender. So what do you think about Mark Hughes, Ben? Yeah, I think the point last that you bring about the draft when you were talking about Dallas is a, is a great point to consider. Obviously the Pistons are not going to be in a situation to go after two superstar free agents, right? Which you look at the Clippers and I mean, they are where they are. Let's be real because of what they were able to do in free agency. Uh, and before I get too far down that path, let's also say they're sort of where they were. They got to where they are by getting out of a really ugly contract, which irony there. So um, obviously when I'm, I'm dancing around there is Blake Griffin's contract, uh, unfortunately. So, um, you know, without knowing more about <laughs> the draft chops, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It'd be, it would certainly be weird to have someone from that organization come and try to rebuild the, the cap profile around uh, Blake Griffin's contract again. Yeah. I, so I want to make sure I get this right. So he went to Mark Hughes was a, a star at Reith's Puffer High School in Muskegon, uh, where he won a uh, state championship in 1985. He also played for U of M. So 
I wanted to make sure I got the bio right before I just started like spouting off about this guy. But offer that. I mean, they used to be a powerhouse. So yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, he played professionally for some number of years as well. As far as I, I think that you know the his time under the Clippers management of uh, of Lawrence Frank, another kind of infamous uh, former Piston. Um, I think the Clippers have done a really effective job of turning that team around. He joined that team in 2017. So that'd be, that'd be before or after that'd be during. Yeah. That'd be before the, the Blake Griffin trade. And so, you know, I think that it would be kind of ironic, as you mentioned, to begin two turnarounds by trading Blake Griffin, but the way in which the Clippers were able to always remain competitive, uh, while they were restructuring their team was something that I think would really be appealing to Tom Gores. Tom Gores is, we have always, you know, thought of Tom Gores as a guy who does not enjoy losing, who does not uh, necessarily like want to uh, take a long time to rebuild. And so Hughes having experience being part of a very short, very successful rebuild, I think would be uh, appealing to him. However, you know, Detroit is not LA. I don't think, you could get there's there we don't have enough picks to get a uh, Kawhi and Paul George up in here or the the new version of Kawhi and Paul George up in here and so I wonder how Hughes himself would feel about a little bit of a more deliberate rebuild but I am intrigued right like he's he's the right age he has a lot of experience he's worked in and around NBA front offices since the like 2000s the early 2010s. Um, he has a guy who's kind of like paid his dues and, uh, you know, with the Michigan ties, I think there are, there are definitely candidates on this list. I like worse than Mark Hughes. We'll, we'll put it that way. All right, Ben, the, the next candidate I have here is an internal candidate that I was surprised we didn't see more, uh, made of his candidacy. And that's Malik Rose, the current assistant general manager for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben, what do you think of the way, uh, in particular, that Rose has handled the uh, the Grand Rapids drive? Do you think that has instilled any kind of confidence in you about his ability to run uh, the pro team? Yeah, this is a great question, Les. I mean, I think the way the Pistons are um, utilizing the drive as a whole is, in my opinion, a step in the right direction. Um, I think over the last couple of seasons, we've seen some of the fruits of that. Um, obviously, we think about Seku, for example, is kind of our most recent guy to think about. Um, you know, my first thought around this is maybe they're very happy with the role he's playing right now, and, and that's why they're not getting a whole lot of buzz. And we're not hearing a whole lot about him maybe being considered for this. Maybe, maybe Malik is really happy doing what he's doing. So I, I wouldn't necessarily read this as a knock uh, on their evaluation of him as a candidate for this job. Um, I also think we have to consider we don't know 100% yet um, exactly what the job duties of this person will be. Um, you know, so is it is it draft evaluation? Is it cap management? You know, those are things that are all going to play themselves over, out over time and potentially could change a little bit depending on the candidate that they get. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read too much into, you know, uh, the lack of buzz around Malik Rose as a knock against his credentials, I guess is how I'd put it. No, that's that's totally fair. I think that 
uh, I think Rose has done a, a pretty effective job with the Grand Rapids drive. Like you said, they've uh, the new front office has made it more of a priority to to leverage the drive than the previous front office. Uh, the old drive had a lot of you know older uh, point guards. Stan Van Gundy like wanted to be able to call on in a pinch uh, on their team, and like this new team is actually being used to take a look at developing young guys that might in time like contribute for the Detroit Pistons, which I think is the the proper uh, step in the correct direction. Um, I don't know. I think Rose is still relatively inexperienced and like that might be why uh, there's a bit of a pause on, uh, on his, uh, on like when we're discussing him. Um, if you remember, like he, he, he won the uh, G League General Manager Award of the Year in his first year um, with the Bayhawks, I think. But it was it was his rookie year, and he won the GM of the Year, and then he moved uh, into the Pistons as the assistant general manager. And so, you know, that was you know two years ago. So this is only like year three of Malik Rose's uh, front office career, and so I think. Uh, despite the fact that by all appearances and by all uh, by all everything that we're we're hearing and seeing, he's you know fairly effective at his job. Uh, I understand why you wouldn't want to put someone with his current level of experience uh, in the driver's seat, so to speak. And, you know, again, this is a this is another point for uh, this is another like this is exactly what we're talking about with Chauncey Billups. Um, you know, Chauncey has no experience. Malik has three years of experience, like with the with the team he would be general manager of, and I still that's still I think that's still kind of playing against him. I think you with the with this team you really want to make sure this rebuild goes right because if it doesn't, we'll, we'll be staring at you know a decade or longer of uh, of ineptitude in Detroit. Something an, another decade, I guess, or longer of ineptitude in Detroit to be unkind. And so you you really want to make sure you you hit this one on the head, um, and like you said, you know this doesn't necessarily mean that Rose is being sidelined or anything. It they could really value his uh, insight and opinion, and you know want to keep him on. I haven't heard any. There was nothing in the report that you know like the new general manager would have the power to you know get rid of the, anybody in the current front office. And so yeah. I, I think that uh, those are a lot of the elements that play into uh, Malik Rose's candidacy. All right, Ben, next candidate, Tayshawn Prince, the current uh, vice president of basketball affairs for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this one. I think the, the shortest way of putting it is I would need to be convinced that this is the right fit for him. Um, you know, a lot's happened since he, his career with the Detroit Pistons ended, but it, it kind of ended a little sourly, I think. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't love, I I can't say I dislike what Memphis is doing, but I can't say I love it either. I mean, obviously they've made some changes uh, recently, so maybe it's a little too soon to, to evaluate that front office as a whole, but yeah, I don't know. Les, if you can convince me, um, if you can persuade me, if there's a good reason that I'm overlooking, I'm willing to hear it, but I don't know. I'm not sold on this idea. Yeah. I feel like this is, uh, I, I like Tayshawn, but I'm not entirely sure that this is the job that he would want. 
the the rebuild right in Memphis is going really well. They always they already have two guys that uh, would they would like to put the rest of their team around in John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. They already have some really good complementary pieces in Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks. And so, you know, leaving that situation where the rebuild is kind of going really well and the team is on the rise for a situation in which the rebuild is already kind of a mystery box. Like I, I don't see the appeal from, from Tayshawn's perspective. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think this job would be appealing to him. I think he would do a good job of it. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Memphis recently turned around their front office. Um, I've liked most of what that new front office has been doing. Um, and so you, you think that Tayshawn kind of learned from that experience and would bring that to Detroit, but, but yeah, you know, if we're just looking at, you know, teams to attach your star to, you know, Memphis is a really good one. And I don't know if, uh, if Tayshawn would be willing to, to risk that, um, you know, for, for Detroit, even if Detroit is, you know, where he's most, where he's most infamous. All right. The uh, next name up is a guy that was, uh, was on the list the last time the Pistons uh, had a general manager front office opening and that's Troy Weaver, the vice president of basketball operations for the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is Sam Presti's right-hand man and the guy who has done a, a lot of work in the uh, player relationship field. So this, is a, this is a really smart guy that you hear a lot of great things about uh, like in league circles. So, so Ben, what do you think of Troy Weaver? Uh, so Weaver is a guy who I kind of spent a little bit more time um, looking into because I've been so intrigued by that OKC front office over the years. I mean, when you look at the talent that they have drafted, I mean, it's just incredible, right? I mean, um, Westbrook, Durant, Harden, I mean, just those three three guys in that one generation's worth of players. I mean, absolutely incredible job. Uh, as you mentioned, does seem to have a really good reputation around the league. He's got a decade's worth of experience under his belt, um, potentially maybe ready to take the next step as well, right? Because he's sort of been the right-hand man uh, for a while now. Uh, I think the thing, you know, the big thing I like, two big things I like about what OKC have done over the years, one, drafting, as I mentioned. Two, I think they've done some really smart things around managing the salary cap over time. I don't like that they, you know, lost Durant and Harden, obviously. Um, but then you even look what they were able to piece together just this season. Uh, they made they made some lemonade out of lemons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think of the people on this list, he's probably the guy I am most interested in. Lots of experience, lots of different scenarios to try to navigate over the last 10 seasons uh, with OKC. So, you know, definitely interested in this one. Me too. Uh, Weaver is a guy that... I think really if the Pistons are serious about like making this rebuild go well, this is a guy that they would throw everything at because for, I mean, and the main thing I'm thinking about is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, he's been the right-hand man for Sam Presti for quite some time. And it really seems like that's going to be Sam Presti's job in Oklahoma city until it, he doesn't want it to be anymore. And so, you know, this is a really big opportunity for Weaver to kind of strike out and uh, do something on his own and, uh, you know, be the general manager of a team. Um, I wonder if the management structure where he would be operating 
uh, under Ed Stefanski for a limited time and working with Arn Tellum on the business side. I wonder if that would be a, a limiting factor in any offer the Pistons could make. You know, if he, if he's wanting to reshape a team, you know, in his own image, you know, having a boss who also has his ideas about what kind of image the team should be remade in uh, might be uh, a conflicting factor. But, you know, I think Stefanski's contract only runs for one more year. They are looking for someone to transit. The Pistons are looking for someone to transition um, into like the taking over the job for real. And Stefanski kind of stepping aside and not being involved in the, uh, the day-to-day front office matters. And so, you know, Weaver is a guy I'm very interested in. This is a guy that I would be extremely pleased with if the Pistons were to somehow convince to make the, uh, the general manager. Well, and I, I think say, that, though, that's kind of the right sell, here. right? Like, you know, if he's been the number two for a long time, this is your chance to work for, you know, one season to learn the organization with some folks who've been around a while, but then training wheels come off after that and it's your show, right? So yeah. you know, maybe that's part of the sales pitch they can make. No, and the other thing that I'll say is that, you know, this is kind of the same thing as Memphis, right? Like Oklahoma City is um, pivoting into a team that looks really good around, you know, your Shea Gilgis Alexanders and your Dennis Schroeders and whatever you get for trading Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari. And so I, I wonder if, you know, as, as with Tayshaun and in Memphis, like the, the Pistons mystery box is not necessarily as appealing to attach your star to as, uh, as your current situation. That would be my main concern with Weaver, but like, no, if the Pistons are serious, they should absolutely make, make this guy like a competitive offer for real. Get this guy. Uh, the last name on the list is another game name. I like it's Mike Zarin, the assistant general manager of the Boston Celtics. This is Danny Ainge's right hand guy and a, a really smart, uh, guy when it comes to the NBA salary cap and, um, finding all the loopholes and, and circumventions that you can on that front. So, Ben, what do you think of uh, Mike Zarin? Yeah, strictly from the credential standpoint, he's a Harvard Law School grad, so it makes sense that the financials and the contracts and all of that kind of stuff are right in his wheelhouse. You know, I think whether or not Danny Ainge successfully has cashed the chips in that he managed to accumulate over the past handful of years um, is probably something we need to bring a Celtics expert on, right, to debate with us a little bit, because I think it's probably a little underwhelming. Uh, but the fact that they were able to sort of accumulate all of these amazing assets and just hoard up all of these draft picks and at the same time be a really good team, um, obviously that's not the position the Pistons are in right now, but maybe some of that way of thinking is something you want to, you know, you want to bring in as part of a new hire in your front office because, you know, as you mentioned, the, the draft is going to have to be a key component of whatever the Pistons do. So, yeah, obviously – that sort of experience uh, would fit nicely. I think, you know, the thing that runs contrary to this working out, you know, if you look up Mike's bio uh, on the Celtics website, you'll find that he's like a lifelong Celtics diehard. Um, He took a year as an unpaid intern with the team. He was like a season ticket holder before he joined them as an employee. So like, you know, a Celtic, a lifelong Celtics diehard coming to Detroit, like that might just be a non-starter, right? So like if this is someone who, uh, you know, paid attention during the 80s and 90s, you know, that, <laughs> that might be too much bad blood. Yeah. And that 
that is interesting too, right? Because if he's a, he is a Celtics lifer, he is somebody who's been really ingratiated into that team. And whereas when you're talking about Weaver, like uh, he's uh, Sam Presti's right hand man and maybe looking to do his own thing, but if Zarin is kind of uh, a Celtics lifer, you know, he might just be happy, you know, being where he's at for a good long time, right? Like even if it does mean being the assistant general manager. Uh, he's just happy to, you know, live his childhood dream. And so it makes a lot of sense as to why you, he wouldn't necessarily be willing to come out of Boston for anything less than kind of a, a monster offer. I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't put monster in the Boston accent. On purpose, <laughs> <I swear>. Monster. <laughs> monster. Uh, but yeah, your, uh, your point about how the Celtics have been run ever since they got the treasure troves of, of picks um, from the Nets actually kind of makes me think of the conversations I have had with uh, Alex Kungu, who I would consider an expert on the Boston Celtics. And his frustration has always been that, you know, they have been really good um, and they have had a lot of draft picks, but they are not doing a great job now of aligning their future with their present. So in, in trying to be really good perpetually, they are, uh, setting themselves up to have a lot of like dissonance in the future. And so I wonder how big a role like that could play into it. But, you know, Zarin could also kind of see that as a challenge, right? You have to navigate the uh, front office structure around Jalen Brown's extension, Jason Tatum's forthcoming extension, um, what to do with Gordon Hayward, et cetera. And so, yeah, between, between, you know, being on a good team, being a childhood fan of that team, and uh, you know, not necessarily wanting to do your own thing. I understand why Detroit could be a hard sell for Mike Zarin, but hey, that's just another point in uh, Troy Weaver's favor, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, Ben. the The other major thing I wanted to talk about was we kind of, sort of have some details about what a potential return to NBA play would look like. Uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot of rumors and feelers about uh, what the NBA would look like when it was to return. Um, we've got uh, various reports about uh, surveys being sent to front offices about like the structure under which like they would like to return to the regular season if they should return to the regular season at all. Um, we have a informal timeline that's been proposed where, you know, uh, early June, where where we will be tomorrow, you start to see teams come back to their team facilities and, and hold some practices, um, some social distancing practices, I think. Um, and then with you start to get in mid to late June, you hit you hold a uh, a form of training camp for the teams that would be returning to play. And then early July, you, you travel to the campus location that is uh, Disney World. The NBA would be playing at Disney World, which is still kind of funny to me. Um, and then you start games kind of in mid-July and, and you go from there. Season ends about like, you know, late uh, Labor Day-ish. When is Labor Day? Like September? Yeah. Yeah, September-ish. Yeah. And then and then you go from there with the next NBA season starting in December. So at the very end uh, of this year. So Ben, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the the informal timeline under which the the NBA plans to return to play. Yeah, it's interesting for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, the first thing I'll say is just as a fan of basketball, um, 
you know, I think we're, we're fortunate that the pandemic has played out in such a way that although it has been devastating to a lot of people, like the worst case scenarios haven't been realized, right? So we took the kind of steps that make even having this conversation possible. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, we desperately need some good news and some things that we're excited about, right? So I'm glad the NBA is looking at coming back. Um, the timeline is weird to me. Um, I think probably my preference would have been to have like a, a shorter, more abbreviated end to this season. Um, and, and so that next season can be closer to normal um, than I think might, what might be on the table through this proposal. Um, it, it looks like though that they, you know, on the business side of things, my assumption is that they want to try to generate some revenue yet this year. Uh, Cause I can, I can only imagine that some of those teams are hurting financially. So, um, you know, it'll make for at least some good things to look forward to in the second half of this calendar year, which has just been terrible. Um, I also think it's an interesting microcosm just from the perspective of, you know, lots of different industries, uh, including sports, collegiate sports, for example, among them, like it's sort of an interesting case study in what it would mean to, to start back up safely and successfully, right? So, you know, obviously doing things all at one physical location starts to minimize the risk of transmission of disease and that kind of stuff. Uh, so now, you know, maybe in some ways, these these industries that are flush with cash and uh, fortunately have the ability to do things like test people and keep them healthy and those kinds of things, maybe there's lessons the rest of society can learn as well. So yeah, for all sorts of reasons, I'm happy about this. My preference, again, I'd rather them cut this season a little bit shorter. Honestly, I would not at all be opposed to just jumping right into the playoffs instead of toying around with, you know, those handful of teams that are six games out from the last playoff spot or whatever, you know, whatever they end up landing on. Um, you know, cause I, I just feel like those, those games are just much less interesting, much less compelling, you know, and if, you know, if you're the first games that you're going to be watching, maybe we're just also basketball deprived that will watch anything, but like, I mean, who's jumping up and down to watch, you know, like the Washington Chicago play in series, right? Like, is that, is that super interesting to anybody? You know, you know, I don't know. So I'd rather just maybe just see the playoffs. But uh, either way, uh, glad for basketball to be coming back. It's really exciting to me. No, I I definitely agree that I'm glad to have basketball back. Um, I don't I don't know. It would be, I think, some number of like friendlies or regular season games will be kind of necessary just to ease into a playoff setting. I'm just I'm thinking not necessarily from like a sickness perspective or like from an injury perspective, right? You don't oh, yeah. want guys, you know, ramping back up to playoff level intensity, uh, you know, right after training camp or whatever like training form training camp would take uh, in this situation. And so, you know, I understand why you'd want to play some number of, you know, regular season, AKA like non-playoff games in that. Um, I also understand like from a financial perspective, like every single game you can put on TV, like makes you money and oh, yeah. you know, they've, they need money. Um, I believe the, the contract with the regional sports networks, the various uh, regional sports network states that like, if they don't play 70 games, like they don't get paid in full. And so you would imagine that there's a lot of incentive for um, the bulk of NBA teams to play as close to 
you know, 75, 70 games as possible in order to satisfy that requirement. You know, I'm sure there's like, I don't know if there's a pandemic clause in there, but I do know that, you know, the uh, wheels of business like don't stop moving for anybody. And so people got to get paid. And so I understand why you would want to play games from that perspective as well. And so because I think it's necessary from a player and from a business perspective, I think it'll happen. I don't think they'll jump directly into the to the playoff picture uh, from here or from like a, a cold start, essentially. It will be interesting, though, for that's an interesting question for our Detroit Pistons, though, right? We're talking about situations in which, you know, all the teams that will be playing uh, games for the NBA are all in the physical location. So obviously the fewer teams, like the fewer chance for any lone individual to become exposed to COVID-19 and kind of shut the whole season down. And so we've seen the bulk of proposals don't include teams that are in the positions the Pistons are in, right? Teams that are at the bottom of the standings. So Ben, do you even want to see the Pistons play any more regular season games? (laughs) Maybe I'm the odd man out here, but I like mentally and emotionally, like I feel so disconnected from this season um, that I'm fine if I don't see him play again. I mean, this, it's hard to even remember how badly this season went, right? Like it just, it was such a roller coaster of a season, right? It started off great, and then uh, I don't know, Ben. I've been rewatching games. I can remember pretty pretty vividly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it was ugly. It got real ugly, right? So I'm good if they don't play. Um, you know, the worst thing that could happen is they win a handful of games and hurt their lottery chances, even with the the revisions made to how all of that waiting is done. So, like, I I'm fine. I'm fine not watching him again. I'm I'm I can wait till December. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh I I will admit like earlier I was kind of like professionally curious like oh hey like you know Luke Kennard would get to see that guy again. Like Seku, Seku uh was really struggling and like maybe getting him some more playing time uh in games that like really truly officially like don't matter. Like maybe that would be really good. Um you'd want one more look to see like what kind of shape Christian Wood is in before you hand him an X million dollar contract per year. Right. But I think from, from a safety perspective, it makes too much sense to not involve the like lower third of teams in the league record wise in any campus style environment that the NBA is trying to build. And so like, I've kind of resigned myself to like, yeah, yeah, uh, we're not going to see the Pistons until December, until the next season. And I'm kind of fine with that. It'll be interesting to see if that is good or bad from a player development standpoint. Um, it'll, be re- it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes that entails from a roster construction standpoint. Um, you know, do you want more veteran presence in the locker room? knowing that some of your young players haven't played organized basketball in like going on nine months, right? Like what in that type of, of situation, but yeah, I'm not, I'm a big basketball junkie, but I'm not so uh, hard up that I like need the Pistons back uh, in order to make this thing happen. Like, no, I'll, I'll get my fix on the, uh, on the 20 team world cup. Uh, finale or whatever proposal the NBA ends up with. Yeah, and I mean, like, so there's two things I I was thinking about as we, you know, propose this question. The first one is, 
from the business perspective, as you mentioned, yeah, they want to get games on TV and, and generate revenue. And I get that. Um, you know, NBA teams might need to be a little bit creative. There might be some other ways to, to televise team activities to generate revenue. I mean, I've never been able to go to the open practice, for example. But, man, I would think, you know, this would be a prime opportunity to potentially televise just some exhibition scrimmages just within your own roster, right? So, like, whenever the teams get to that point, I mean, there could be some creative ways to generate some of that revenue, right? As we get closer to positive treatments for this, you know, this disease and maybe in a vaccine, like I could see all of that happening. And then the second thing is from a player development perspective. I mean, I think it is absolutely the case that there's nothing quite like playing in a real game at whatever level we're talking about, right? And anyone who's ever played in a team sport has felt that there's nothing like the game. You can't simulate it. But at the same time, um, you know, my personal opinion and my personal experience has always been that the greatest skill developments that you make are in the off season when you're just building muscle memory rep after rep after rep after rep. So, you know, for a guy like Seku, for example, who's still so incredibly young and raw, like there could be a real opportunity for him. Um, you know, depending on how he chooses to manage some of it. But there could be a real opportunity for some of these younger players uh, to really get some reps in and improve their individual skill sets so that come December, you know, maybe they're a bit farther along in terms of their individual skill development uh, than they would have otherwise been. So certainly some challenges, but also some potential opportunities as well. No, absolutely. I agree. All right, Ben, that was fun. It's like it's like riding a bicycle. It's like, I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, like I think a lot of people. Um, I I, uh, I was joking before the podcast. Like, all I need is a green screen, and I'm going to be like ready to go pro. I've been on so many video calls and conference calls and talking on the phone that this is this is the new normal for me right now. So yeah, like riding a bike for sure because I just did it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh... If only we had more stuff to talk about, we could talk more. Uh, but alas, you know, if, if we don't have any more regular season games and the season doesn't really start and get started until July anyway, it's going to be a, a rough couple of months for uh, for Pistons content. I'll tell it's, you that much. Well, I mean, I'm, Pistons are used to Pistons fans are used to not watching a whole lot of Pistons basketball right now, so in that way, it feels very normal. So very we've, got, true. we've got that going for us. <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, let the people know how they can keep track of you, how they can keep track of how you guys are living uh, during this uh, global pandemic. Yeah. Hey, if you want to keep track of how we're living, you better find me on Instagram because uh, my Twitter feed is not basketball right now. Um, it's it's other things. And I don't want to make any of you hate me who don't already follow me there. So it's at BRGulker, either place. Um, but Instagram's way better if you just want to keep up with life. You get the the pictures of the new swing set in the backyard. Um, you know, I'm living at home with my wife working full time and two little ones under three years old. So there's lots of fun stuff to be seen and heard there. No, definitely. I've uh, I've been trying to limit my social media activity to purely basketball related things. I have not always been successful, but uh, if you want to just continue to maintain basketball related conversations with me you can do so at last chance on twitter that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e all right y'all like like we said this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and i don't know when we'll talk to y'all next it'll be a while but you know we'll always be here for you we're never going 
like away away trust us on that it just might be later so we'll see y'all later